0: Warning, this show contains explicit content. And we say that as sort of a derogore placeholder. I am telling you, and very close to this moment right now, this show does contain explicit content. It's Thursday, May 31st, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. If only Samantha Bee had noted, say, Ivanka's soulless demeanor. Her uncool jargon, always the blah, blah, blah without a cool beat. You know, her funkless can't. She should have just called her, you know, out for her funkless can't. Or maybe note that Ivanka, so wanton, so careless with facts and policies without any of the responsibility, and let's face it, of Trump's offspring with Ivana, she's the smallest one, making her a reckless runt. She could have gone with the reckless runt. Would we be in this situation now? Or she could have said that Ivanka was a mouthpiece who has lost all social standing with her peer group because she just parrots the administration policies. She has a friendless front. That's all. She has a friendless front, and that would have been fine. But what did she say? She said this.
1: Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless cunt. He listens.
0: Not nice. Not nice. Not the same as the Roseanne racist tweet, but, you know, harsh. Just because of the word. We have given a lot of power to that word. Let me read some of uh, Rebecca Traster's tweets. She tweeted pretty interestingly on the subject. But at one point she tweeted, You cannot like the word cunt for feminist reasons. You can and should think about why a term for female anatomy is such a potent pejorative But use of it in this context is not reinforcing or replicating the crude harm it has been used to inflict historically, i.e. the patriarchal diminishment and vilification of women. In fact, B is using it to critique a woman precisely because that woman is acting on behalf of that patriarchy, one which systemically diminishes women, destroys families, hurts kids, especially non-white. Well, I want to get back to the first half. The second half of that is not that compelling to me that Samantha Bee's use of it is less bad because the object of her criticism deserves it. By that logic, let's say uh, someone were to tweet at Ben Carson, who was a gutting HUD in the service of the Trump administration and try to make a similar point if you want to call it that, to the one that Roseanne made or a similar reference to Planet of the Apes as regards Ben Carson. And you could say, well, it's not as bad because Ben Carson is serving this racist administration. But you know what? I think we all agree it would be, it would be bad. It would be beyond the pale. So if you focus on it's not as bad if the object of your criticism is worth it, I think that only goes so far. But let's go back to the first part of the Rebecca Traister tweet. I thought it was interesting. You cannot like the word cunt for feminist reasons. You can and should think about why a term for female anatomy is such a potent pejorative. It's because there are really just a couple of words that we've put in this category of the absolutely verboten. All the other ones I could think of are racial. There are some homophobic slurs that come close, but it's not quite the same thing Dan Savage lovingly calls people, well, I'll say it, fags on his show. And I can imagine a time, I'm not going to impute this to Mr. Savage, but I could imagine one gay man criticizing another gay man who's working on behalf of, say, the Trump administration or going back and calling Roy Cohn by, uh, by the word fag and it not having the same power as what we're talking about here. Cunt. So cunt is the worst thing you can say to a woman about her being a woman. But doesn't that to some extent have something to do with the care and protection and cositing of women? I mean, men are dicks, men and women are assholes, but cunt is just a female dick. Is a cunt a female dick? Let us not name this episode after that question. But they both, in terms of terms, they serve the same basic function and I have no problem calling a man a dick. You probably don't also. Kind of a dick. That dude's a dick. What a dick. Guys sometimes laughingly say it about their friends, but calling a woman a cunt, it is just not done. I'm a bit uncomfortable, though clearly not totally uncomfortable with using it quite so often in this part of the show. Maybe some of the reason that there's a little bit of a difference between the power of calling a man a dick or a woman Cunt, is that our society gives more leeway to men more leeway to men to be dicks than to women to be so-called cunts and that is sexist women some women have retaken the word bitch to a degree that they don't mind being called it or they're call their friends that somewhat analogous to what i was talking about in terms of men owning or teasing their friends with being quite a dick but cunt cunt is a lot worse and I do think some of it is about just protecting women, that women can't take it as much as men can, that women do need a little bit of extra care. I'm not sure that Ivanka Trump does, but Samantha B. apologized. She won't lose her job. And this has not only been a teachable moment, but some fodder in another episode of Mike Says Society's Most Horrible Words 38 Times. On the rest of the show today, I work a little less blue. I spiel about Donald Trump's demand for an apology. But first, an interesting story about the first black man in Iceland and his relative, an American by birth, who was pretty surprised to find out about the relation. Stick around for that. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where it got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort. And just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter— and not to wallow in, he could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview it was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of the Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H A R, like the first three letters in hard, B I N G E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The General's Widow versus the Mulatto, that is quite the name of a legal case, and it was quite the legal case. The Mulatto, which is a phrase we no longer use and might not even have been an accurate phrase then, is a man named Hans Jonathan, who was born into slavery in the Caribbean, who fought for the Danish Navy, who wound up in Iceland. And not only did this citizen of the world end up in iceland he was by all accounts the first black man in iceland A book has been written about him the man who stole himself and in fact there's a there's some movement on recognizing jonathan and uh deciding what we should do about his legacy i want to bring into this conversation kirsten flom who is well i'll let her tell you who she is hello kirsten how are you
1: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm, I'm well. So, absent the name Hans Jonathan, when you meet people, uh, you tell yourself what about you. Who, who are you? Uh, we're on a game show, <laughs> and I said, and joining us now from Copenhagen mm. is Kirsten Flom. Kirsten, who are you? What do you do?
1: So, I'm an American woman, uh, currently living in Denmark. I work for a software company, and I work in the marketing field.
0: Okay. And you grew up where in America?
1: I grew up in Connecticut in a small town on the shoreline.
0: And what was your conception, your knowledge? What were you told about your ancestry?
1: Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I knew nothing of the connection until about 15 years ago or so when I, on a whim or boredom, decided to Google my name. And I found it on a website that was in Icelandic and my entire family's names were on there. So I contacted the administrator of the site, and he told me the whole story, that myself and a few hundred other people are descendant from this person called Hans Jonathan, who was a slave from the then Danish West Indies, who was taken to Copenhagen, where he was a house slave, and he fought in the Napoleonic Wars and assumed he would then have his freedom because slavery was at that point outlawed in Denmark, but not in their colonies. The widow of his owner disagreed and claimed that he was her property and they had a legal confrontation. That, they case, had a, that a, case
0: I cited in the intro, yes. Correct, yes. yes.
1: And he ultimately lost that case and was ordered to be sent back to the Danish West Indies And at that point, he evidently made a decision. He was not going to do that. And he ran away and ended up in Iceland.
0: So upon hearing this, your mind must have reeled and gone many places. Tell me some of the thoughts that had occurred to you or Mm -hmm. were occurring to you at the time.
1: Well, one thought that came back to me was when my uncle was dying, I was visiting him in the hospital and he said something to me that I didn't remember until this happened. And he said, I should really look into my family background, that there's something very interesting there. And at the time, you know, I thought there's nothing interesting in my family background. But when this happened, that stirred that memory up and I realized he must have known, but didn't tell anybody. And since then, there have been other family members that I've found out who knew about this connection, but decided for whatever reason to not pass the information on.
0: And did you at this time do one of those uh, DNA tests to see if you had any African ancestry?
1: (laughs) No, no, I have not done that.
0: (laughs) But you have every reason to believe that this story is true, that you are a descendant.
1: Mm -hmm. From the research I've seen and the family trees and the lineage, that to me is proof enough. I'm sure I could do the DNA test just to prove it, but I haven't done that yet.
0: Right. And you, I mean I saw the quote in the New York Times where uh the audience should know, we're speaking by Skype, you said something like I just look very much like a white woman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, I do. Um yes. It's interesting. That's the quote that he decided to put in there. But yes.
0: Well, I do think (laughs) it is one of the things you wonder, oh, do these descendants of Hans Jonathan in any way, would there be anything about them that you'd say, oh, I could see it or, oh, that makes sense. But, you know, after many, many generations, Mm -hmm. many traits Mm -hmm. get repressed. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. And it's, you know, 200 years later. So he ended up in Iceland, which is a very homogenous community.
0: It does seem, and you know his history more, that Iceland treated your ancestor better than any of the other Mm -hmm. countries or places he ever lived.
1: From what I've been able to read, there's not a lot of first-person accounts, but there are a few. And it seems by all accounts that he was welcomed there and he was treated very well. He married an Icelandic woman. They had two children. He owned property. He ran a business. So it's it's interesting that a country like Denmark, which is very similar—it's a Nordic country—had a different relationship with him than an even smaller Nordic country did.
0: Right, but perhaps it was that Denmark was, to some extent, on the defensive. I mean, Iceland mm-hmm. had nothing to do with uh, the with the slave trade, and, mm-hmm. and Denmark did.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, even today, the topic of slavery is quite touchy in this country, and I'm sure there are, you know, layers of reasons as to that, but there's recently the first statue in this country of a person of color. I think a few weeks ago it was unveiled. They just named her Queen Mary. She was part of an uprising in the Danish West Indies.
0: Yeah. Mary Thomas. That's right. Yes. Yeah.
1: uh, That led to what, you know, they say led to the official end of slavery.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And there's very, well, you tell me, in Denmark, other than the past, are there still, you know, you're an American, you know that the legacy of slavery lives with Americans every day. What's it like in Denmark, specifically the legacy of the fact that, as you documented, there was still the slave trade in that Mm -hmm. country a couple hundred years ago?
1: I don't know if there's much of a day-to-day legacy of that in this country other than the architecture that you see because they made – obviously a lot of money off of slavery and, um, colonialization. So the huge houses and the palaces are one form of evidence of that. But I think a lot of people are not as aware of the Danish government's history and experience in slavery. It's, I don't think it's part of kind of a, a common, um, conversation that goes on.
0: So what would you like either Denmark or Iceland, but but probably especially Denmark, to do as regards Hans Jonathan, who is your Mm -hmm. great, 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 great something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The one official request that I have made was that he be declared a free man posthumously. And I think, in my opinion, that is the one thing that I think he would – have regretted most in his life. He died fairly young. He was, uh, in his mid forties and he stood up for what he believed in, in a time and in a place that was no doubt quite dangerous for him to do. And he left everything that he knew. He went to a country where he didn't speak the language and he started all over. And by all accounts on paper, you would say, you know, he succeeded over all of this adversity But I believe that his one wish would to be not a fugitive anymore and to be not a criminal. You know, I understand. I I received a letter from the prime minister explaining. Of Denmark. Yes. Yes. Explaining that, you know, slavery was very terrible and it was, you know, a horrible time in our past. But I can't reverse a decision. And that's not what I'm asking because I, I don't believe we should necessarily harbor these ideas of revisionist history. But there's something that can be done today that can at least acknowledge what happened in the past and acknowledge that perhaps Denmark was on the wrong side of history when they made that decision.
0: Is there a constituency within Denmark for this? Here you are living in Denmark for a year. You're advocating for a person who Denmark never embraced, even though he fought for mm-hmm. Denmark. He was Icelandic, if anything. So mm. how do you get the ball rolling on this?
1: But There's a small group of his descendants who communicate through a Facebook page. But in terms of the general public here in Denmark, I, I don't think it's a very welcome request. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of that. It's in the past. It's done. Just leave it in the past.
0: Interesting. And in, and as far as your own personal exploration into uh, your ancestor, you said you'd like to make a trip to Iceland mm-hmm. uh, soon. What else?
1: I would like to see the plantation that he was born on. In St. Uh,
0: Croix?
1: Yeah, just, you know, it's interesting. When I moved here a year ago, I obviously knew that I had a, a family connection to the country, but it wasn't in the forefront of my mind when I was moving here. And it wasn't the reason I moved here. But a a few months after I settled in, I realized that Hans Jonathan lived right across the street from where I'm living. And it was just this strange coincidence that I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it's not a coincidence.
0: Wow. And he and this was when he was working for or Mm -hmm. enslaved by his the the widow in that lawsuit. And such. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and
1: that house is now being converted into luxury condos.
0: Of course it is. Of
1: course it is. <laughs>
0: and what's the and what what's the where did he go to where did he live in Iceland? Is it still rural? What's that like?
1: It is a small town whose name I cannot pronounce. Um, <laughs> but at the time, I believe it was quite rural, quite desolate. The group, uh, kind of headed by the author of the book, Gisli Paulsen. Have uh, They have gone there and they have set up a kind of small monument slash headstone in the area that they believe he used to live. Um, and it, it looks still quite, quite remote.
0: All interesting. The name of that book is The Man Who Stole Himself. Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking about Hans Jonathan or Hans Jonathan, if you wanted to say it, uh, as they would today. And we are speaking to a descendant of his, or we have spoken to a descendant of his, Kirsten Flom. Thank you so much, Kirsten.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome.
0: And now the spiel. Well, we covered what happened with Samantha B. today. And of course, just the other day, ABC parted ways with Roseanne Barr for her racist tweet. And the president, who congratulated Roseanne Barr, who bragged about the success in the favor of Roseanne Barr, reacted by saying, what about me for the second day in a row? Yesterday, he tweeted, Bob Iger of ABC, that's the Disney president, called Valerie Jarrett to let her know that ABC does not tolerate comments like those made by Roseanne Barr. Gee, he never called President Donald J. Trump, tweeted President Donald J. Trump. He never called President Donald J. Trump to apologize for the horrible statements made and said about me on ABC. Maybe I just didn't get the call. So there you go. Where's the apology? Also, where's the thanks? That's all this guy's in it for. A little bit of gratitude and a little bit of groveling. This where's the thanks is a constant theme. A few months ago, he tweeted, the United States, under my administration, has done a great job of ridding the region of ISIS. Where is our thank you, America? Come on, region. Come on, don't they have tasteful Hallmark cards in the region's stationery store? Has ISIS... With all the beheadings and the drowning of people alive, well, until they were drowned, uh, did did ISIS get in the way of your good manners? Do I really have to remind you, Regin? How about a thank you? Before that, he talked about everything he did to get the Keystone Pipeline going again and asked, where's the thanks? So anyway, so that was dead for a couple of years and no chance. I get elected. I approve it almost like in the first day, right at the very beginning. And I just say to myself, can you imagine the boss of whatever the hell company it is who never actually called me to say thank you, but that's okay. We'll remember. That company is TransCanada. The CEO of TransCanada is Russ Gerling. The clip I played of Trump saying, where's the thanks? That was in March 2018. He was complaining about Russ Gerling's lack of a thank you. Here now is a clip from the Oval Office in March 2017. And standing next to Trump at the signing ceremony, uh, that's Russ Gerling. And with that, I'd like to invite Russ to say a few words. Russ is a very highly respected man in the energy world. He's president of TransCanada. And I know you're going to do a fantastic job, Russ, and get it up and hire plenty of American people. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Mr. President. Those words you heard were Russ Gerling. And to recount... Those words of the man who never said thank you were to quote, thank you. I guess we found the spy. We've unmasked the rogue agent. Good job. But what about Iger? Back to Iger because Trump was back to Iger today, tweeting, Iger, Iger, where is my apology? You and ABC have offended millions of people and they demand a response. How is Brian Ross doing? He tanked the market with an ABC lie, yet no apology double standard. We have on our show chronicled the Brian Ross lie. In fact, so did the White House. It was the number two lie of the year. And as far as tanking the market, he misreported a fact. The market fell 300. Then it quickly recovered. The Dow Jones pre-Brian Ross report that day, 24,272, and afterwards, 24,000. 231. So, in the end, the Dow lost based on that lie. The tanking was 0.2%. The market, by the way, is up a little bit above that today. It would be up a lot more, but do you know what's tanking the market? President Trump's tariff policies, his idiotic, haphazard trade policies. Where's our apology? So, what was Bob Iger supposed to apologize for? There we heard uh, President Trump citing Brian Ross, but Brian Ross was suspended. Sarah Huckabee Sanders took to the White House podium and she named some other people that ABC were supposed to apologize for. One was Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill was suspended. And then she talked about the guests and the host of the TV show, The View, who supposedly should apologize for giving their views. And then there was one last one, who Sarah Huckabee Sanders mentioned from the podium.
1: And where was the apology from Bob Iger for ESPN hiring Keith Olbermann after his numerous expletive-laced tweets attacking the president as a Nazi and even expanding Olbermann's role after that attack against the president's family?
0: Yes, where is your apology for hiring a critic of mine, an established critic of mine? We want a pre-apology for that. I have a theory. You see, Bob Iger has an important job. And it might be hard for Donald Trump to understand that. Bob Iger is the president of a big company. And any functioning president of a large functional entity will know that you can't deal with personnel matters with efficiency and swiftness if all you do is allow yourself to stew in regret and grievance. I mean, can you imagine a president who is so obsessed with picayune, meaningless details that were so many levels down from what he should be keeping his eye on. I mean, think about it. To put it in perspective, Disney has 200,000 employees. Can you imagine being the president of quite so many people? You can't just take your time fretting about wounded egos and hurt feelings when that stuff is so incidental to the true mission of being president of a 200,000-person company. So Bob Iger does what Bob Iger needs to do. He's disciplined and he issues discipline when he needs to issue discipline. But he doesn't bray about it and dwell on it and constantly talk about it and public he tends to the bottom line which is what a boss should do he cares about his shareholders i know there's no analogous situation for donald j trump to get his mind around so let us just wait for the commander-in-chief of the free world to possibly in the near future nitpick a jimmy Kimmel monologue to weigh in on monday night football ratings or maybe even to opine that cars two wasn't quite as good as cars one but we'll have to acknowledge it's hard to wrap your head around just how important a job it is to run Disney, especially when your main job is merely running a Twitter account and nursing your grievances. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Pierre Bienemay remembers that time that Flip Wilson called Trisha Nixon a jive turkey. Mary Wilson, just senior producer, could not abide. Edith Wharton's intimation that Alice Roosevelt was a slatternly miscreant. Steve Licktie, executive producer of Slate Podcast, called for the beheading of Christopher Marlowe, who, in portraiture, clearly implied that many of the illegitimate offspring of Pope Clement VII were illegitimate. The gist, we would never insult a daughter of a sitting president, but daughter-in-law, Angelica Singleton Van Buren, or Angelica Simpleton Van Buren... Am I right? Am I right? Improve that Peru, do Peru, and thanks for listening.